So if you would tonight, turn in your Bible with me to the book of Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. We're so glad you're online with us this evening here in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. We are, we are strong in the Word. We want you to be strong in the Word. So we'll bring it strong and you can meditate on it like we all have to. Galatians chapter 1. Second natures are hard to come by. When someone has got an addiction of some kind, it's hard to lay it down because it becomes a nature to them, a habit, a ritual, a routine. It becomes part of them. And nothing is more routine for all of us than thinking out of our head and looking to our intellect for the answers that we find in life. Now at the new birth, we were supposed to be told, we were supposed, to, that we were supposed, somebody was supposed to tell us, you have the mind of Christ and you need to start thinking, you need to start looking, you need to start spending some time, not just jumping to an intellectual, uh, soulish decision. You're supposed to wait and see if the Lord can verify what you think you're supposed to do. But if anybody got that conversation, I don't know it. I certainly didn't. And so we're just supposed to do the best we can. And so we, we pray for doctors to have wisdom to, in the procedure. Yeah, just all sorts of things that, are, that are, have a ring of religion to them or a ring of spirituality to them. But we have no idea what we're talking about. We, we just are slinging something out there to cover ourselves. And it's time for us church, all of us in the kingdom, in the body of Christ, to get honest. To get honest. We have a pseudo-honesty in the kingdom, in the body, where people slide it off into uh, a spiritual excuse where they say, that's why I'm doing it, or that's what, how I'm doing it. And no one has the, the teaching or the foundation or the boldness to say, that's a, bunch of, that's a bunch of stuff. That's not how it works at all. So we just let each other slide because we're dishonest. I, the thing that I'm on now and I talk to the men about is uh, how people, when they don't want to do something, they disparage it. They put it down saying, well, that's no good. That's, that's, that wouldn't help. That wouldn't be what we want to do and disparage it instead of just saying, you know, I personally just don't want to do that right now. Instead of just being honest and saying, I'm just not in the mood, I'm too tired, I've got too much on me or whatever. Instead, we take a, an unholy approach and just are dishonest about it. A lot of secondhand dishonesty going on in all of our lives, not ours here necessarily. I'm, I am just putting it out there because it's happened all over and I'm aware of it. So we're going we're gonna to deal with that sometime. But the Holy Ghost is going to be talking to you about being honest, that what you say is what you're going to do. If you say you're going to do it, bless God, you're going to do it or we're going to repent. We're going to say, you know, I said I'd do that. And boy, it's held me up short. I have, I, I'm always saying, see you soon. <laughs> and so I have found myself being corrected saying, I got to get over there. Because I said that. And other things that are just cordial and just uh, overt. Uh, 
Because then, if you don't do that, then when you go to speak to the mountain, because you don't really believe yourself, you can't make the mountain believe you. And that's serious. That's, that's a lot of people have gone to heaven before their time because they weren't credible to themselves and therefore they could not speak with confidence to the mountain. So that's just, you know, that's just twitching. That's just gathering up the dust. But that's where I want to go. I think we all want to go. If we're going to go all the trouble to be strong Christians, we might as well get results. I say, let's get it done. Let's do what the Word says we can do, and let's have what the Word says we can have. So revelation is the thing that we've never been taught is to live out of revelation. We've been, we've, you know, we, we say, I'll pray about that. That's another little area that could be a little dishonest. I'll pray about that, which puts people off from teaching us something or telling us something or whatever. I'm going to pray about that. Our hopes and our prayers are with you is what they say. And it's, you can just only guess that that's not really what people are doing. But it's what we should do. We should start looking to Holy Ghost to give us wisdom, insight, and understanding about what we're about to do. Because in these days of compressed time, we don't get too many do-overs. Especially if you're 50-ish or above, but at any age, it doesn't really matter. Uh, do-overs are expensive. They're hard. They're, they're time-consuming. And you, you just don't feel like doing it over. You just take the loss. And so the Lord wants us to get it right the first time. And that's what I'm here to say, to get it right the first time. So there's a little process that you have to do or have to become aware of where we wait on the Lord, where we say, I'm going to pray this out in advance. Uh, uh, Mark Brzee always said, it's easier to pray stuff out in front than it is to try to clean it up, praying it behind. Lord, help me clean up this mess. Help me straighten this out because we just don't pray like we should. But he prayed out in advance, then there's no mess. Well, I've got a life full of little things that I just hurried right into and jumped in and then I had to fix it. And it was always, I could be further along. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? We could be further along and it doesn't take many. It's not like you have to have six every day to have a setback. So in Galatians chapter one, verse 11, uh, Paul said to the church at Galatia, he said, I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Wow. So he's, he's saying he's not a self-taught man. He got it from heaven. Well, we, could, we know what he's talking about there. He's talking about doctrine. And let's just say it up front. Doctrine is finished. There's no more, there's no more doctrine to be added. There, I mean, there's no more Bible to be added. The other, other places, cults and stuff, they add them a book of this and add them an addendum of that. And even the Apocrypha claims to be this or that. But there's, there's none of that. But Holy Ghost... Revelation, verified by the Word of God, is being added all the time. Matter of fact, we're in a constant flow. We should be in a constant flow, totally tied into Him, as least as much as our phones. If, if our phone ever goes down or has bad service, we, we come unwound. Like, what are we going to do? But when this connection is broken, we might not even know it. 
So revelation, things that you know that there's no reason or avenue for you to know them. That's how we're supposed to live. And here's the key. We're supposed to be so different than the world. We are supposed to be so, if you can say it, superior in how we get our answers, get our problems solved, get our uh, get uh, things started that nobody ever even saw, that we are noticeable. That we are noteworthy in, wow, he must be have an IQ of a whole bunch because look how he does that. Well, it's just a Christian. But we've settled for the world because we're on their time frame and there's just not enough time to go off and seek God. I'm reminded of Dr. Cho. Y'all remember him. He used to say, I've got such a busy day tomorrow. I must get up at, at four and pray four hours in order to get my day done tomorrow. So you go, well, Dr. Cho, if you get up at eight, you'd have the same amount of time. He said, oh, no, there's a redeeming quality from getting up and praying that causes your whole day to be accomplished not only faster, but more efficiently. And we know that. We believe that. The Sabbath is that way. If you will take the Sabbath and just not do what people do during the rest of the week, what we all do, you'll get more done in six than you would in seven. It's, it's just the tithe is the same thing. It's the Sabbath of our money where we, we lay aside and give it to God and we actually do more on the 90 plus whatever he sends than we would have done on the 100 if we could have held on to it. Uh, Malachi says that the devourers come in and he, uh, your fruit will cast its, cast its, it'll be cast before its time. So we know that. So this is the same way. If we'll stop and, and, and access revelation, not just when we're in an area of needing it, but all the time that we would be like Mark Brzee, where we would we would be out ahead of it. We'd be out ahead of it and we'd know what to do when it was coming and we just handle it and we wouldn't have to fool around with it. Uh, he said, I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it. So I, I thought I looked up a word that might mean that. And I came up with the word inspired. He was inspired. It wasn't a deductive process. A deductive re reasoning is when you, you go through and you eliminate all the things that it can't be and leave all the things that, that it could be. And then out of that, you reason the most likely. It's deductive reasoning. But inspired reasoning is not that at all. It just comes down and it's, it's just got one thing on it. This is number one. And you know to go with it. How easy is a life like that if we didn't have to think about what to do? Can you imagine all the decisions that we make having to wait and contemplate and reason it out and get a bid and get a and do research and look at it and say this this might be better, but it's not on sale and all those things like if you just knew here's the brand and here's where we'll get it. You go, ah, that just sounds too easy. My yoke is easy. So we ought, we ought to be, we ought to turn our sails into the wind and catch that breeze and go further faster in this day. So it's, it's not reason, it's revelation. I'm going to read that verse again. I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it 
but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, if, if the word came that way, how could how? He could help us. First Corinthians chapter 14. First Corinthians 14. I'm, I'm real enthused about this revelation that I, that I think I've got for me. I'm just sharing with you what it's doing for me. Chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, verse 26. Uh, the word says, uh, How is it then, brethren, when we come together? So he's talking to the church at Corinth. How is it then, brethren, when, we, when ye come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. Wow. So it's not even like it's a special thing that you go off into the woods for a day and a half and uh, you, you come back with some nugget. It's like it's just how we live. When we come together, the anointing, the consensus of being in one mind and one accord, no schism or division among us, is that revelation flows. We're all pulling on it, as it were. We're pulling on it. There's, an, uh, there's a, a corporate pull that's not just you in your closet and you having to figure out which house to buy or which car to, to buy. It's uh, corporately we come together and things start flowing. We, we have a exponential quality about us when we come together. Others might just say, well, y'all just got together and there was this many of you. But it's way more than that if we know what to look for and we stand our ground. We already know that two puts 10,000 to flight, and we already know that two is better than one. So I would think it would go into all these realms. But he said, when you come together, one of you has a revelation. And that's what's really going on when y'all, just like Melissa tonight, said, I've got a revelation. It, it doesn't have to be something about the world is this and that. It's just an insight that we didn't have that would be edifying and helpful, fruitful to all of us. That the Lord shared that with one so we could all get it. And as trite as that may have seemed this evening, and I'm not saying what you got was trite, but I'm just saying if you think of that, anybody could have done that, well then you do that. If anybody could, then heave ho, and we'll all have more if we pull together. Galatians, back to Galatians chapter two, uh, that's east of here, Galatians chapter 2. In, in uh, I think it's verse 2. Yes. Um, Galatians 2, 2 says, And I went up by revelation. I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately the, to, which, to them which of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. The Amplified says, I went up because it was specially and divinely revealed to me that I should go. Ooh. That's what you might call being with the right people at the right time at the right place. I went up by revelation. I went up because it was specially and divinely revealed to me that I should go. Today's English said, I went in response to a revelation from God. Well, I, he didn't go up and turn the water into, 
into wine or anything like that. He, he just he just was at the right place. And he said that God orchestrated the whole thing. So there was something important in that time, just like there's something important wherever you and I are. The potential, the capacity is every time I meet with somebody, there is a potential of what God wants to do. And if I stay only on my agenda, hey, Mr. Jones, how you doing? Or whatever, then I could miss God's purposes. And aren't you glad that somebody back in your past connected with you and got you born again? You think, wow, well, that would have happened anyway. In whose dream? Or that you got the Holy Ghost. There's just lots of people that got born again that don't even want, <laughs> want that other. But here, uh, by revelation, you got it. I got it. And it's so powerful. The Passion Virgin Version says, God had given me a clear revelation to go. Wow, a clear revelation to go where he said, I, I, I communicated unto them that gospel which I preach. He said, God gave me a clear revelation to go. So the, air, the airfield, the runway is clear. The lights are on. Everybody's looking for you. By revelation, you're at the right place at the right time. And it just works. And some of our stuff doesn't work so good. We'd all have to be honest about that. I've certainly been places where they weren't home or they didn't, they didn't feel. I, I wasted a lot of whatever to get there and do that. And it didn't work out at all. Well, I didn't go up by revelation, obviously. Uh, you could say that. So we need revelation. And, and we say around here, you can go in the kingdom. You can go as fast as you want. So the capacity or the, the insight or the, the, the vehicle for us to go is already pushed all the way to the top. But we have a sub lever down here that says it's heaven's wide open, but I'm, I'm going to teeter down the runway and just check this out. We can go as fast as we want. And you might look into your life, I have, to see if there was a time when we went faster because we didn't know so much. Well, maybe we don't know so much yet. Maybe we don't know what we don't know. And the Lord wants to use us in ways that would startle us, would amaze us, would just like, really, God, little old me? And in this little old place and in this little old town and this little old me, Lord, you want to do that? Well, that's how Billy Graham got raised up. That's how Oral Roberts got raised up. If you read their stories, you go, they were nobodies from nowhere, but they bit. The Lord showed them something and he's faithful to show all of us something. But these guys, these ladies and, and gentlemen, they bit. They said, I've, I've been with heaven. I've been with God and I'm going to bite. I'm going to I'm going to see where this will go. So to be fair, not to be naughty, just to be fair, we've all had a revelation to go somewhere that we can't even dream or imagine. You can't say, ah, oh, that oral, he, he got it. Brother Hagen got it. Kenneth Copeland, he got it. If you look at Kenneth Hagen's, uh, excuse me, Kenneth Copeland's life, 
I mean, it's just, he's just ornery. He just was, he was anything but complicit. He was anything but willing. But he just kept coming back around and repenting and coming back around and saying, let's, can, can we do it again? And the Lord raised him up. And he wants to raise you and me up. It'd be wrong for us to look at these people and say, they must have had an easy life or they must have got where they're going without giving. If you read their biographies, you, you, you just can hardly imagine the millions of dollars that have come through their hands when they were in debt. They were in debt. Uh, you know, I, I don't know figures for sure, but Brother Copeland was millions of dollars in debt and Rama was certainly millions of dollars in debt at one time. And nobody knew it. They just kept on going. And that's what you've done. And that's what you've got to keep doing. You just cannot become, Galatians 6, weary and well-doing. Amen. So um, we need revelation to be at the right place. Is it too late? Is it too late to be at the right place at the right time? Well, I'm reminded of the uh, Charles and Francis Hunter. And uh, a preacher would come by for every Saturday for 10 years and sit down at Francis's kitchen table. She, tell, she told this story. It's in her biography. And she'd blow that cigarette whew, and blow it right at him. She would mock him. She would, but he just stayed on. And she finally, at age 55, got born again. She was a, she was a ringtail tutor. And, uh, and Charles got born again. And they turned the world upside down. I mean, the, France, the, the happy hunters are known all, far and wide. And so you go, well, maybe it's not too late. Didn't get born again until 55 and had to take off from that. Uh, let's, let's go to Judges chapter 6. We've got a few minutes here. Judges. It's the... Yeah, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. That's it. Joshua, uh, Judges chapter 6. And we go to a story that, that has captured my heart. And because of the, the, the strong difference that this man, uh, Gideon, what he did. And we can all fit it in verse 12, uh, verse 11. And there came an angel of the Lord. An angel of the Lord. <laughs> I mean an angel of the Lord. It's the same thing. When they say angel of the Lord, it's the same thing as they also, sometimes they say, and the Lord said. It's the angel of the Lord, but then it's the Lord. And sat under an oak tree, which was in that town that pertained unto Joash, the Hudiah, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Y'all don't want to hear me stumble over these words. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said to him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. This is the verse that we named our men's ministry after. Because the word there is the word Geber. And the word Geber means powerful, warrior, champion, strong man, mighty one, chief, and a whole bunch of other stuff. He said, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to the angel of the Lord that appeared to him out of nowhere and came into his presence and shone brightly about him, Well, Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? Can you imagine fussing back at an angel of the Lord? 
Can you imagine the gall, the audacity, the, the, the stuff to say, ah, you're just one of those angels that comes by here all the time. I talk to y'all the same all the time. Nobody had ever seen an angel in his life. And he said, well, if what you're saying is true, these faith words, well, then how come it hadn't been like you say? How come it hasn't been like you say it is and like you say it's going to be? And where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? So now he's messing with history. Now he's messing with motive from heaven. I mean, he's a bodacious little boy. And now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Um, let's see how far we go. Verse 13. Yeah, that's far enough. And so guess what Gideon was? We've all been here. He was thinking little in a little place. He was believing little in a little place. Everything was little. Now, church, look at your own life. Look at your own situation. And it would be not a far jump, not maybe personally, but corporately, you could look and say, well, if, if all these things that God's got for us are true, then how come? Why is it this and why is it that? And why isn't it this and why isn't it that? It'd be easy to make that. But the Bible mocks this man that mocked the angel of the Lord because of what he said. I mean, what if it had been a regular guy that came up there and said that? God sent an angel. My, my, my. So the angel came with a revelation. Say revelation. revelation. The angel came with revelation. And it did not fit conventional knowledge, wisdom, understanding. It did not fit. It was totally contrary. Now, I'm going to tell you all this evening, you already know this. That's what revelation is. When it comes, it's contrary to either what we've known or what we're seeking, it's contrary. It's what the Lord calls thinking big or believing big in small places where you shut off your knowledge, your experience, your history, your senses, your eyes and your ears, all that, your, remember, your memory, and say, I don't know where I am. And this thing that the Lord's telling me is fresh as a new rain. But what we do is we say, I know everything and how it's going and I have understanding of why this is this way and it's his fault and it's her fault and, and this wouldn't be this way if they'd have done what I thought and all this stuff where we crank up a blame game and, and say, the Lord isn't taking care of us like he promised. A complaining to an angel. I'm just amazed by that. So what that was was resisting revelation. Because we didn't like how it came. We didn't like when it came. We didn't like what it came. So we resist whatever. People are usually against whatever they don't understand. And so here he had a history of the Midianites, a cruel and hard people that had come in and, and made stewards or, or uh, treated these people. They, they would come in and take their crops and their cattle. Anything they'd get together, they had to hide it. And uh, verse 13 says, the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. So what was he thinking? Because how he was thinking, sadly, 
is probably how we're thinking when we resist revelation. He was thinking that the past was his present and that the present was his future. And that is the anathema of revelation. We think, we rely on, we default. Y'all know what default is. It's when, when anything shuts down and it has to go to a, a, a system, that's called the default. It goes to the lowest system. And so we went to the, this is the way it's been, this is the way it is, and there's no reason to believe it won't be this way. Especially since the angel said, thou mighty man, <laughs> it's you. And he took it personally. He said, you got the wrong boy here. So revelation, if we were just going to say, what is it? It's a picture of the future. Because we already know the history and we already know our present experience. So revelation, the only reason it's we want to resist it or, or not like it is because it tells us of the future and we don't like them getting our hopes up. We don't like God or anybody else getting our hopes up and then dashing them. We can just take so much. So people think. You can take more than you thought because you got the faith of Jesus Christ in you. Galatians 2.20 said we live by the faith of the Lord Jesus. So, uh, if we said that Gideon was remiss for saying that his future could be no better than his past or his present, then we'd have to look at ourselves and say, that was me. Because we can't just say, what a, what a dud. What a dud he was. What? Come on, man. We'd all say, that was me. Now, I don't hurt anybody's feelings, so I'm not, we're just saying everybody, me included, that was me. Because Revelation is a commensurate part of the package of the new birth. It's like, like, well, if I was a brother Oral or somebody, God, I could have done more. You are everything they were and everything they got to be who they became is in you and me. That's a jagged little pill to swallow. But if we don't swallow it, if we don't take hold of it, then our future will be indeed like our present or like our past. And we'll be hopeless because we're just on a treadmill. We're just we're going nowhere. The hamster's just going around and around in the cage and doesn't go anywhere. That's just not who we are. And we must we must resist who we were with all our might. Our future, our blessing, our 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 heavenly life is predicated not on what he's done, but what we can leave. Because if you keep looking back and grabbing what's back for a little security blanket, you won't ever take hold of what's ahead. You know that movie uh, Raiders of uh, Harrison Ford was in the yeah that one yes sir thank you where he had to step on that bridge of faith and he and it did not appear until he absolutely stepped out. So if it didn't appear, he was going to the bottom. That's a good example. You don't, you don't, everybody wants to hold on to the last as they step out on the new. And the Lord said, ah, you got to, like, like Melissa said, R-S-I-K, you got to let go of it. And then it appears how true that is in our thinking. In Mark chapter five, see if we got just a minute more to look at this. 
This is a little more than the, or a little different than the Jesus loves me, this I know message. Although it's exactly that. He so, when we find out this stuff, we go, wow, he does love me. Uh, in verse 25, uh, a woman, certain woman, which had an issue of blood, 12 years, suffered many things of many physicians, spent all she had, nothing better, but rather grew worse. When she heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, for she said, here's, here's what we know that made this whole thing work. For she said, if I may but touch his clothes, I shall be whole. So she, she resisted her present and she resisted her past. Is that right? So she had a revelation, didn't she? She had heard from somewhere that people that touched his clothes would be healed. But that wouldn't be enough to be uh, something that would guarantee it. There's a lot of unworthiness going on, like everybody else touched it and got healed, but you probably won't because you're this and that. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she's healed of that plague. I, whatever you want to say about her, that was you. That was me. We did that exact same thing. We've, we've rather grew worse. We've been down some road in your life, my life, we've been down some road that we just resisted revelation. We didn't, didn't think it was there, so we didn't look for it, or it was there, we found it, and we didn't follow through. Whatever the deal, it doesn't matter. Until you put it into play, it's not in play, is it? All I'm doing is testifying that Jesus is so much better than we've given him credit for. He's, he's got it. You, you can never say, well, the Lord didn't take care of me. Yes, he did. He just may not have done it in a way you did, you, that you and I didn't know. In Acts chapter 14. I'm telling you, the word is full of this. We're just going to pick a couple of places out. Chapter 14, verse 8. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet. 14.8. Being a cripple from his mother's womb who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak. Who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed. So the man said something, didn't he? That's how you know if someone has faith to be healed. It's not your eyes. It's not... It's something you say. We're, we're judged by what we say to be in faith or out of faith. He said with a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. And, uh, and the people saw. Uh, but the point was there. Uh, this man had a mindset. Think about it. Because we've all been there. Where he was impotent. He'd never walked. And so... The best he could do, he had set his sights on being a good beggar. Good beggar. That's, where's the ceiling? Where's the, the outer limit? Well, you're not going to get healed, so the best you can do to better your life is somehow elicit alms in a way that paid the way. Uh, we've all been there. That was us. That was us. Now, we have to identify with this because it's not in here as a story of somebody else. It was us. That we set a ceiling that said, this is reasonable. 
Matter of fact, it's, it may be a little on the faithy side to say, he'll do this for me. And it's like we're not even in the ballpark of what he's thinking. This man was thinking, begging. It was the best he could do. And yet the Lord was so much more. Uh, let's see, where are we? Uh, I want to go to another verse. Well, we'll go to Matthew 21. We'll just slip over there. We're, we're just about to... I can't do it all, so we'll just do what we can. Hallelujah. Is this okay with y'all? You know, I, I want to go to church to be stirred. I don't want to get pounded or beat up. I don't want to be condemned or judged or criticized. I just want the truth. And then I can judge myself against that truth. 21.14. Let's see if I wrote down the right verse. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Okay. Where was he when he healed them? In the temple. Everybody agreed? In the temple. Okay, well, we've got to go to this other verse. It's in Acts chapter 3. We just got to go there. Acts chapter 3. He healed them in the temple. In verse 1, it says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, a particular man, a real man, came, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they had laid daily at the gate. Now, lame from his mother's womb is the same thing as this over here. He'd never walked. Not, not lame from young age or, you know, fourth grade. Uh, they lay daily at the gate of the temple. They lay daily at the gate of the temple. They lay daily at the, gift the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful. Why did they lay him daily at the gate of the temple? To ask alms of them that entered into the temple. So everybody was going in the temple, but they laid him at the gate of the temple because that's where you could take alms. Are we there? who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, entered into his standard protocol of his life, the past, the present, and undoubtedly the future, and asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him, with John said unto us, Look, he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. And Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So the man was, he just had weak ankles. We talk about this all the time. He just had weak ankles. But he was 100% disabled. He's 5% disabled, but he was 100%, or he was 5%, well, handicapped, that's what I'd say. But he was 100% disabled. In other words, if he could have got a job with his arms, with, uh, with, you know, doing something, book work or accounting or anything, that could have set him in a chair with an ad machine and he could have had a job. But he was 100% disabled because they laid him at the gate beautiful at the outside. But we know from chapter 21 of Matthew that the healer was in the temple. But they laid him at the gate of the temple by his own design. 
So he had set his parameters, his boundaries, like the other man, to beg. That was as good as it was going to get. But the healer walked by him every day and went in the temple. If, if they had laid him in the temple, just in the temple, he would have got healed because how many did Jesus heal? He healed all. So he wasn't positioned. Why was he not positioned? Because his past and his present were, were demanding his future. And he never, what, what do we say? He never saw it. Jesus was just inside the door or, or wherever. He was in the temple. And they could have laid him in the temple. Now, I don't know all the rules about beggars going in the temple. I, I don't know if there was something else. But uh, if you're smart enough to, to make your living through begging, you're pretty, you're pretty crafty. you got ways to get money out of people. His miracle was in the temple, but he was outside the temple. So what would it have taken to change his whole life? 5% handicapped, 100% disabled, no future. If he ever got old enough where he couldn't be at the gate, taken to the gate, or he couldn't ask, his life is over. They just bury him. He was right there. He was a good man with a bad problem. He was as good as any of the others that Jesus had healed. He healed them all. He was in the prime of his life. He should have been giving alms to the lame. I mean, we're just thinking this thing through, the potential, the possibility, the capacity. He should have been giving alms to, the, to those. But he was dependent on others because he didn't have his own dream. Now, I don't know if you can draw a line between that and, and us. I certainly can. And say different handicap, different disability, but certainly if I had revelation, if I'd been him and had revelation, you boys take me on in and drop me off. Because somebody had told him or he got it somehow that Jesus was healing them all. It would have changed everything. Everything. And I'm proposing that revelation for you and me would change everything. He shouldn't have put it in the book and said, this is how I want you to live. This is what I want you to look at. I want you to understand about me, the kingdom, my willingness to love you and to help you. And revelation, the thing that's hidden from the wicked, hidden from the, the unrighteous hidden from those that are steeped in religion and reserved for those that says, I believe there's more and I'm going I'm to chase it down. I am one of those. And you and I should be. We should be those that chase it down. Healing didn't come. Revelation will find the answer. Listen to me. If healing hasn't come, we just haven't. We've just said my yesterday will be my tomorrow. And that's rationale, that's reasoning, that's cognitive, that's it's all the things that, that were with us before we got born again. That was good. 
It was, it's all the things that we would have had before we got born again, but now we have the mind of Christ and we have access to every answer that any problem would bring to us. And we just got to say, I, I need revelation. I don't see it. I cannot put it together. My intellect or my connections or whatever have not led me to see this, but the Holy Ghost could. And so we have to pray out the mysteries. You got to pray in the Holy Ghost. I got to pray in the Holy Ghost. I got to pray more. I got to read the word more because that's where revelation is. When you read the word, revelation starts hovering around you saying, have you thought of this? Oh, every time I've ever been in a place where I just pulled myself off and said, I'm just going to spend some time finding out what God knows that he wants me to know. I've never been disappointed. I found it. I found it. He was faithful because he is. And I, I was worthy because I am. And I had a trouble that he didn't like the demonstration of someone that was his walking around with this handicap just because I would think I'm just like regular sinners or regular carnal Christians or regular whatevers. I'm not. I can find him. So amen. So we're going to look at this. And it doesn't matter what we've heard one time. It's what matters is what goes in. And so we, we just got to keep pounding it in till it goes in and we're changed. Nothing matters at River Church unless we are changed. Hearing it does not change you. Believing it does not change you. Acting on it is what changes us. So we just have to say, I'm going to change my approach. I'm going to start... I'm going to quit giving up on how I've been doing it. I'm going to go another way. I can go in the temple and get healed or whatever. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for tuning in this evening to River Church. Go and be blessed. Amen.